Preach after that now. I, I believe I am, Eddie. Eddie said, preach after that. Listen, that will motivate you to preach after that. You know, I was thinking about it while they were doing that fantastic song. By the way, would you give to all of the vocalists and Eddie Haas and the orchestra a great hand for that fantastic song? In fact, while they were doing that song, I really didn't know what to expect. I had not heard the rehearsal, and I, I had no idea it was such a fantastic song. And while they were singing, you know, they got to the end of that, and I thought, man, as good as that song is, uh, we could just leave right after that and feel that we've been blessed. But then I remembered how hard I'd worked on this message tonight, and I didn't want you going anywhere. So uh, I'm encouraged with what God is able to do in our midst tonight, and uh, God cares about you. I want you to know that. And I want you to know that God knows what you're going through. He really, really does. In the last few days, I've talked to two different people that have been laid off from their jobs, jobs that they've had for quite some time. I visited not long ago, about six days ago, uh, with a dear lady. Her family is phenomenal. Many of you know them. If I were to call them by name, but uh, stage four pancreatic cancer, and I uh, visited with her in the hospital. And challenges that you have in your home and challenges that you have on your job and challenges that you have in your health. And a lot of times in the midst of that, we wonder, you know, does God really know? God's so busy with so many different things that are going on in the world. How can God really care about me? How does God even know what I'm faced with? How does God even know what I'm up against? And friends, I believe with all my heart that by the time we get to the end of this message, you are going to profoundly understand just how much God really, really cares about you. You know, I love studying the words of, uh, of Jesus, and not too long ago, I went back and did that again, and then, uh, you know, just looking at some of the things that he said, and a lot of times, you know, I, I don't do my devotions to get message ideas, but often uh, when, I, when I'm studying the Scriptures, a message idea will come to me, and then I'll just write it down, and I know that in future messages, you know, that um, I'll come back to maybe uh, Scripture uh, to a passage and write down some impressions, and so I'll do that, just keep that in a little file, and then come back to it later. And not too long ago, I was studying some of the words of Jesus, and, you know, what were the things that Jesus would really speak into? And when something would grip the heart of Jesus, Jesus would always talk about it. When He was moved by something, He would talk about it. And because He is fully God, when He said something, you just knew for certain that it would be absolutely accurate, that it would be without any error whatsoever, and that when Jesus spoke, how many of you know every time Jesus spoke, Jesus spoke with full authority, with full authority. And yet there is this other dimensional nature concerning Jesus. He is fully God, fully man, this incarnational life that He lived. And because He was fully man, what is so beautiful about that for you and for me is that He identifies with us in our weaknesses, and He identifies with us in our challenges. How many of you have any weaknesses or challenges or problems going on in your, in your life here recently? Just sort of wave like that, just things that you're faced with and things like, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Where do I go from here? And again, the reality is Jesus cares about you. Cares about you no matter who you are, what you've done, what is going on in your life. It really concerns Him because you matter to Him. And at times in your life, and a lot of people feel this way, you may feel that you are too insignificant, or you may feel that you are way too sinful, or that you have too many doubts, but you really do matter to God. And tonight, I want to examine four verses that many of you are familiar with, but I think you're going to learn something tonight that I trust and believe and have asked God to be incredibly helpful to you. It's Matthew chapter 10, and I want us to look at these verses up here on the screen. Uh, again, you're familiar with them, 
But I want you to look carefully at some of these things that Jesus is saying. Again, when something moved his heart, when something gripped his heart, Jesus would speak into it. And so he's talking to some of his followers, and he says to them, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We'll come back to that. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Look at this next portion. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. And then I want everybody, everybody to read this last portion with me. I want you to see it because it's what we're going to talk about tonight. Are you ready? Let's read it together. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are worth more than many sparrows. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about that tonight. How do you know that God really cares about you? How can you know that? How well does he know the details and the challenges of your life? I mean, is, is, it just, is God just so massive that he just sees the big picture of your life? Or is he intimately acquainted with the small details of your life and what you're faced with? So I want to begin by talking about that for just a couple of moments and just sort of transition us uh, through this great passage. How important is God's creation to him, really? I mean, when you think about that, we know that God spoke everything into existence. Out of nothing, God would bring forth everything. And then it, you know, as the, the writer would say, you know, as we're in the Pentateuch, the early, uh, you know, books of the Bible, that of all that God created, the very best of God's creation was people and how important is God's creation to him. And I want to start right here with verse 29. You saw it just a moment ago, but the guys are going to put it back up here on the screen. And I want us to read this verse together. You did great, by the way, a moment ago, but let's all read this verse. Verse 29. Here it is on the screen. Two sparrows cost only a penny, but not even one of them can die without your father's knowing about it. In some of the research that I did while working on this message, I discovered that in Jesus' day, when this was written, when Jesus spoke it, uh, sparrows were so cheap that the dealer who would sell sparrows, if you can imagine, uh, such commerce were, was conducted in that day. But a dealer, when he sold a sparrow to someone, well, for whatever purpose it would be needed, he would often throw in an extra one. I was thinking about that. How many of you know we all love a buy one, get one free kind of deal? And I mean, that was just commonplace in Jesus' day that when it was like, okay, you want to buy a sparrow? I will be happy to sell you one. And just so happens that again this week, it is buy a sparrow, get a sparrow free week. And this went on and on again and again. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, they were considered a sparrow. When you look, looked at it in Jesus' day, and you'd have to say, really in our day as well, that uh, a sparrow would be like the most inconsequential reflection of everything that God created. I mean, it just seems so, so insignificant, so small. And there's so many other things that when we, when we think about God's creation, we're staggered by. I mean, one of the things that I like in certain uh, months of the year, you know, uh, when it's a little bit cooler, starting to get cooler, and it just seems that the sky is as blue in that part, of, that time of year than it is in any other part of the year. How many of you know what a, it's just a deep blue. It's a chamber of commerce, take a picture, kind of day blue. And you look at that and you're stunned by that and you're taken back by that. And you look at the mountains and many of you like the mount, mountains and many of you like going to the ocean, to the beach. And there's something about it. Anytime that I've ever been in the mountains or each summer when I go to the, to the beach and just so often I'll just stand on the shoreline and I'll just look and it just goes on forever and forever. And uh, you look at that 
In fact, I was sharing at Lakeside this morning, you know, how big is God? Isaiah 40 and verse 12, I think it's the A part that said, who has measured the oceans in the palm of his hand? And you think about the vastness and the greatness of God and how that God would create the oceans. And you can just stand there and you can look at them. Perhaps you have as well. And, and you just think, this is, now this is mind-blowing right here. Or at night, the way that the moon and the stars light up the sky would be absolutely stunning. But then you consider that against a sparrow. And, and you'd say, well, why is Jesus using a sparrow? There are so many other uh, much more fascinating birds. I mean, isn't there? Why, why didn't Jesus use the example of an eagle? Or an owl, the Bible mentions owls, by the way, or a penguin, or a falcon, or even a macaw. But why would God use a sparrow? I mean, there's other fascinating uh, birds that Jesus could have pointed out. Some of you, uh, you've heard me tell this story. It's uh, one of the greatest faux pas that I've ever, ever committed, and there are many, so this one, unless you know it, it, it was pretty weighty. I, I can remember the boys were quite small, and uh, being at a baseball game, and I was not sitting in the bleachers, but a lot of parents were standing beside the bleachers, and some of you have heard me tell this story, and it was, it was one of those very blue skies, and I was just looking up and just taking it in between innings, and so there were several of us standing around, and there was a family that I'd known this family that had known uh, me for a long, long time, and, and the husband is here and the wife is here, and I'm looking at the sky, and I notice this incredible bird. It's a bird that I've never seen before. I've never seen a bird like that before. And... Um, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking at it between innings again, and, and I see this bird, and it's like it's, it's, not, it's not flapping its wings. As other, it's, just, it's just sort of floating like this. And it was just breathtaking to me, and it's just floating. It's like it was riding the air currents. It's just like this. And, uh, you know, they were in, in close proximity. And so I said to this lady, I said, look, look at that bird. I said, that is amazing. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? I said, look at that bird. And she's standing over here, and, and uh, she looks at me, and she says, that's a kite. <laughs> and I look, and I'm convinced. I am. I'm still convinced. I know it was. I, I'm going to tell you, a preacher should do this, but I'm going to tell you what I was thinking. Here was my thought. This lady has the spiritual gift of goofiness, straight up. I mean, she's just got it. I know a bird when I see a bird. That is not. And so this is what I said. I think she has the spiritual gift of goofiness. I know it's a bird. I know for a fact. I've seen it move. This is not a kite. There is no string attached to it. So I looked at her and I said, it's not a kite. It's a bird. You're goofy. No, I didn't say the last part, but I'm thinking it. And uh, so I didn't think more. I'm just, you know, wow, how, you know, a kite, good night. And so, um, you know, a while later, anytime I'm, I'm working on a, giving a talk anywhere, I'll have a dictionary close by, a, th a thesaurus or something like that. And I was just looking uh, through the dictionary. And you know how in some dictionaries it has like these, uh, these renderings, these drawings in the margin of it? And, and I looked in the margin, and it was incredible because I saw a sketch of that same bird with a forked tail, and I'm in the case, and I look, and it said, it's a kite. <laughs> Technically, it was a kite. I'd never seen a kite. I never even heard that there was a kite, so I'm standing here 
and I'm thinking, she's got the spiritual gift of goofiness. That is not a kite. And so that's when I said back there, that is not a kite. That is a bird. And now you know what she's thinking. He's a full-blown idiot. That's exactly what she's thinking. So why wouldn't Jesus say something like a kite? I mean, they just didn't get created, you know, that particular day. Why would he say a sparrow? A sparrow, they just seem so absolutely ordinary. And yet Jesus declares that the Father in heaven, you think about this, friends, this ought to tell you, your value is part of God's creation, yet Jesus says that the Father in heaven knows when every sparrow dies, and he's actually right there when it happens. I was thinking about it, it's just ironic. Um, I was walking into the gym early uh, one morning this week, and I'm walking into the front doors of the gym. It's about 5.30 in the morning, and I look, and I see, of all things, can you imagine, a little sparrow that is, is dead, laying right near the door, and it's not had a chance to be uh, taken away yet. It's just there. I guess maybe the staff had not noticed it yet. And, and so I just thought, you know, I just walked right by it. I didn't give it a second thought. The only reason I even thought much at all about it was the simple fact that I knew I was giving this message tonight. And something that is so insignificant, I don't even know how many people stepped by it on the way into the door, but nobody felt any grief, nobody felt any sorrow, nobody felt, it's just, it's just a bird, it's just a little sparrow, and it's just, all right, no big deal. But I want to say to you, it's a big deal to God. Even little sparrows matter so much to God that he notices when one of them passes away. I want you to look what one writer said. It's here on the screen. And it says this, our hunger for significance is an indicator of who we are and why we were created. Deeper than our need for food, look at that statement, deeper than our new need for food or air or water is our need for meaning, our need to know our lives count for something. And I want you to hear me again on this before we move on. You really matter to God. Everything matters to God concerning your life because you matter. Two sparrows. Jesus said it cost only a penny, but not even one of them can die without your father knowing about it. And then you just keep following the text, and then we're reminded that you are the best. You really are of God's creation, and he knows even the smallest detail of your life. You think about that. God knows even the smallest details because sometimes there are things in our life that are going on in life when they're real mammoth, when they're real big, it's, it's like we wrestle with us. It's like this is so big. This is so utterly profound. This will take a miracle in order for the answer to come, and we're like, I wonder if God's really going to pull it off. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, if we're not thinking that way, maybe it's not one of those uh, gargantuan kind of situations in life. Maybe it's a small little matter, but it really matters a whole lot. And, and we're thinking about that, and we're thinking, well, this is just so utterly small. Does God even care? I mean, look at all that God's busy doing. Is God really even mindful of this little detail in my life that may be afflicting me in just a huge way, but it's just so small in comparison with a lot of the other world problems? Does God even know? And I assure you that he does. Let's read this next verse together. Guys are putting it on the screen. This is verse 30, still the same passage. You ready? Let's read it together. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I want you to keep that up, if you will, for just a moment, and, and just think about that. You talk about uh, details. A lot of you by nature, you know, the way you are, attention to detail. You, something catches your eye. Somebody else may look at it. 20 other people may look at it. They don't see anything, but because you've got attention to detail, you notice it. You see it. You can spot it. And Jesus is saying, you know how much you matter to me? 
You matter so much to me that in, in comparison with, you know, with everything that I created, even a tiny little sparrow, I want you to know that if I take note of a sparrow that falls to the ground, don't you know? And how well do I know you? I know you so well that I have, even the very hairs of your head, I have them all numbered. And this is an amazing verse to me. And for a very long time, I actually thought that this simply meant, when I read it, that God knew the number of hairs that are upon our head at any given time, and that he certainly does. But then I started digging a little bit deeper into this. And some of you experts already know this, but on average, a person usually has about 100,000. Think of this, about 100,000 hairs on their head at any given time. Of course, there are some discrepancies there. <laughs> Varies with age and gender and genetics and choices. And on any given day, if you really start reading into this and you start reading that on any given day, think about this, you're going to lose 50 to 100 of them on any given day. Your hair, for the most part, 100,000 hair. On any given day, you're going to lose 50 to 100. In fact, some of you, even before this service is over, you're going to lose a handful of hair right here, right now. Why do you think it takes facilities so long to clean up the sanctuary after every service? It's going on even as I speak. But did you notice what it actually said? It said the very number of hairs on your head are all numbered. Not God like, okay, you've got 98,422. He's got them all numbered. You talk about attention to detail. God knows when you lose hair number 20,346. That's how well God knows you. You know how well God knows you? God even knows the original color of your hair. If you were dying, he knows that. He's acquainted with that. And yet sometimes we wonder if God really knows what we're going through. And I'm telling you, he does. So our great God in heaven, this is what Jesus is saying. And nobody knew the Father like Jesus knew the Father. And Jesus is saying, you know how much God cares about you, every detail of your life? He sees even a little sparrow that falls to the ground. And he knows you so personally, you, you so personally, that he sees even when one hair falls from your head. Uh, Craig Groeschel is a, a great uh, church leader and pastor in the Oklahoma area, and, and listen carefully to what he, he wrote uh, some time ago. He said, even though I claim to believe that God is all-powerful, everywhere present, and all-knowing, when I worry, I'm saying that I don't think that God can handle what's bothering me. Think about that. And we've all been there. When I worry, as we all do from time to time, I'm saying I don't really think God can handle what's bothering me. And then he said, that must be a real insult to my heavenly father's heart, and I don't want to insult my father. And the implication of that, obviously, is I, I don't want to worry. I don't want to keep on worrying about things. So again, you and I need to realize just how valuable that we are to God. Here's our next verse from Matthew chapter 10. Look at it with me. Matthew 10, 31, the very next verse. And this is, again, Jesus speaking, and when something gripped his heart, he talked about it. And he said, so don't be afraid. Again, he sort of echoes this. You're worth much more than many sparrows. So I want you to realize Jesus is saying, connected to this passage, is yet another set of words that Jesus speaks. Look at this on the screen. This is Luke 21, 18. And Jesus said, I want you to know, not a single hair from your heads will be lost. I'm mindful. And these words were spoken to Jesus' followers. And why do they matter so much? It seemed that they had every reason. This particular group that Jesus is writing to, and sometimes we don't see this when we're reading, but you know what Jesus is speaking to in this context is actually followers of his who had every reason to be afraid. 
because they were faced with the threat of impending persecution. Earlier, Jesus had made this statement to them. This is not on the screen, but this is what Jesus had said to them at an earlier time. He said, make up your mind not to worry. Think about that. Make up your mind not to worry. It's like Jesus is saying, I get it. I get it. You have every reason to worry, humanly speaking. You know, the same people that don't like me, they don't like you. And you're, you're persecuted. Remember when Jesus made these statements? When people persecute you, just know they're treating you the way they, they treat me. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, I know what you're up against. I know a lot of people don't like you. I know you're being persecuted. But I want you to make up your mind that you're not going to worry about that. You're not going to fret over that. You're not going to lose sleep over that. Make up your mind not to worry. I want to ask you a question tonight. Have you ever wondered what a person really thinks about you? Of course we do. Have you ever wondered, you know, when you were in school, what did a teacher think about you? When you played sports, what did a coach think about you? What currently maybe does an employee, uh, employer think about you? What does a friend have to think about you? And I want to just say this to you tonight, and I hope that you're incredibly encouraged by it. You never have to waste your time speculating as that relates to God, how much God thinks about you. And what does he think about you? Please listen to me on this. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And the value that he has placed upon your life is priceless. And we can know that just from parenting. I was thinking about it. You know, the baby in the family is, is Audrey, and she's not a baby anymore. It, it, really, it really bothers me that uh, Audrey's going to turn 21 um, in just 11 days. That bothers me. It bothers me because when we came here, she was just three years old. And that was yesterday, by the way. I can remember one time uh, because she attended VCA and she got a, her whole education at, at uh, VCA and, and now she's a junior at Southeastern University. She wants to be an elementary, elementary school teacher and, and just VCA helped to prepare her for that and she loved it. And I can remember one day after school, she was real small. She wasn't three. She was probably by this time about, about five. And so I was taking her home and, and so I had a little satchel, a little briefcase with me and we we're walking out the door together up toward the car and she said, Daddy, can I carry that? And um, I was said, uh, I, I said, sure, honey, you can carry. And so she's carrying it a little bit heavy for her, and we're walking, and we're about to get to the glass doors out here. And I said to her, I said, honey, I said, do, do, do you want to work here one day? You know, you've got daddy's brief. Do you, would you like to work here one day? And she just said very nonchalantly, she just sort of turned back, and she just looked, and she said, well, if this place is still standing, I think I might. <laughs> and it's still standing, and she has worked here. And I just remember, because it seemed like it was just yesterday, when she was born, and being the baby, and, you know, we had the two knuckleheads, I mean, the two sons, and now we've got this little girl. And I can remember just staring through that glass there in the hospital nursery, and just looking at her, and just being so proud. And, and, and then later that night, it was really, really late, and uh, she's in the, in the room, and I had, just, I had just taken her out of the little bed there, and, and I just walked her over to a chair, and I just sat in this chair uh, just like this, and I've got her in my arms. Nobody else is around. It's dark. The hallways are quiet. Everything is just sort of her and I in those moments. And I just, I'm holding her like this, and I just immediately am turned into a shameless idiot. And I just start, I start talking to her as though she understands everything that I'm saying. 
And I'm just holding her like this. And I, I'm saying, I love you so much, baby. You are so beautiful. You're, do you know how much? And I'm just talking, again, shameless. I mean, just, we're back to the kite. I mean, I'm just sort of, I'm just, and I'm just making an utter, and you're so beautiful, and I love you so much. And I'm just going, just, the, just that moment. And I'm just, I must have talked to her like that for, for four, five, six minutes just again and again. I love you. You're so beautiful. Everything. I'm touching her little fingers. Everything. I'm rubbing her little head. Everything about you is perfect. You're so beautiful, honey. And I'm just looking down and I'm talking to her. You ever get this feeling somebody is watching you and you don't realize that they've been watching you? And uh, her doctor has slipped into the room. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is so embarrassing. But I think the doctor got it, and I think God gets it. When God takes you and I, and he holds us in, our, in his arms in those moments that, that we need him most, and God just looks at us, and he says, I know what you're going through. I, I know what you're faced with. I know what you're up against. I know about the struggle in your family. I know what the struggle is in your finances. I know what you're going through. I know what's happening in the workplace. I know that you're sick. I know they're not giving you a lot of hope. I know that you've got problems. I know your kids are real. I know all these things, but I want just like God saying, but I love you. You're the best. You're the, you're the best of everything. I love you so much, and I know what's going on in your life. God knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in your family. He knows what's going on in your health. He knows what's going on where you go to school or where you work. God knows. He knows. And you need to realize just how valuable that you are to God. Don't be afraid. You're worth much more. I want you to take a look on the screen at these remarks. One particular writer says this, and I love it. says, religions tend to emphasize two things, belief and performance. What they lack is what makes Christianity unique, the realization that, that God has a genuine, passionate affection for each of us and invites us to open our hearts to that love and then return love to Him with deep sincerity. There's one more thing that we find in this Matthew 10 text that I want to touch upon before we're done tonight, and that is, and it's what Jesus is saying, I want you to be sure you capture this now. I'll say it a couple of times. We should have a healthy fear of God, but we should refuse to walk in the fear of people. You with me on that? We should have this healthy fear. God wants to be feared, but it's not the way like cringing fear. It's, it's this sense of awe and wonder and worship and devotion. God says, I want you to fear me, but I don't ever want you to fear people. Just look at what he says. It's Matthew 10, 28. These are profound words, utterly profound words. Look at what Jesus said. He said, don't be afraid of people. Some of you, you came tonight. If you just saw that right there, that's enough for you. Don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of what people... And, and then Jesus says, you know, Jesus, how many of you know Jesus spoke uh, clearly, pragmatically, but he also, he just got, he said, they can kill you. Now, that wasn't necessarily encouraging in the moment, but he said, they can kill you, but they, look at this part, but they cannot harm your soul. He said, instead, you should fear God who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. And again, Jesus is writing to people. You've got to understand the context. He is writing to people who had every reason to be afraid. But, but Jesus is saying, you don't be afraid of people. Keep in mind that when Jesus speaks these words, he's speaking to those who may very well lose their life because, simply because of their identity with him. They had not really done anything uh, wrong. It's just simply because they identified with him. And Jesus said, you know what? They can kill you. They can. But don't worry about the people that can kill your body. Don't lose sleep over that. 
One theologian says it this way, this is a call to courage in the face of great persecution. And Jesus knew, just as Jesus knows every detail of our life, Jesus knew that it would be tempting for them to leave their mission because of fear. But Jesus urges them not to throw in, in, in the towel because of what mere men could do to them. And he said, you know what, they may kill your body, they may. But this is what Jesus said, but they cannot touch your soul. That matters a whole lot. It matters a whole lot. Now, a word or two about this before we're done. The persecution of Christ's followers, and we need to be reminded of this, friends, from time to time, that the persecution of Christ's followers is not a thing of the past. It is not. In fact, it is actually more pronounced today around the world than it's ever been before. It's worse than at any other time in history. And it's critically important that we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We sit in this wonderful sanctuary tonight with all the freedoms that we appreciate and enjoy. And we've got brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world that live and dream of being able to do something like you and I take for granted every Sunday and every Wednesday. And Jesus would want us to pray for them. Some time ago, I was reading, uh, many of you are familiar with the, the calling by Brother Andrew, and he writes this. He says, we were planning to smuggle one million Bibles into China. Wanted to be sure that the believers in that country realized the immensity of their task and were willing to accept all of the risk. We sent Joseph, a Chinese team member, to meet with five key house church leaders. Do you know how much space one million Bibles takes up? Joseph asked. And they reply, we've already prepared storage places. Do you know, he says, what could happen to you if you happen to be caught with even a portion of these Bibles? Their response, Joseph, all five of us have been in prison for the Lord. All together, think about this, all together we've spent 72 years in jail for Jesus. We're willing to die if it means that a million brothers and sisters can have a copy of God's Word. David Platt writes, he said teenagers, talking about a particular group of teenagers that he had met, and he said teenagers like Shannon Ling, who have been sent out from house churches in their villages to undergo intensive study and preparation for taking the gospel to parts of Asia where there are no churches. Uh, Platt writes, Ling said to me, a teenager now, a teenager, I have told my family that I will likely never come back home. I'm going to hard places to make the gospel known, and it is possible that I may lose my life in the process. Shan added to the conversation, but our families understand, they do. Our moms and our dads have been in prison for their faith, and they have taught us that Jesus is worthy of all devotion. He's worthy of all devotion. And Jesus is speaking to his followers in situations very common to this. And Jesus looks at them, and he knows their hearts are filled with trepidation. And Jesus said, I want you to know something. I know what you're up against. I know what you're faced with. You're my creation. I love even a sparrow who falls to the ground. I take note of that. And he says, I know what you're up against. They may kill your body, but they can't touch your soul. So you don't worry about them. You don't walk in fear. You don't lose any sleep. You don't be uh, a person that is continually gripped with anxiety. And I, I think God would say that to us here tonight. And it may not be the same circumstances. But listen, friends, God does not want your life to be riddled by worry. God does not want you to be filled with anxiety. God does not want you to be paralyzed with fear all the time. God wants to set you free from those things so that you can enjoy life that is truly life. Life that is truly life. But you say, Jeff, you know, that's easy for you to say because you're not faced with some of the things I'm faced with. You never really worried a whole lot, really. Then you don't know my story. 
And I'll wrap up with this. One of the most incredible ladies in my entire life was my grandmother. When my kids were born, they were the first grandkids, and so my, my mom, my mom, was already mamma, and so, you know, she had been my grandmother, my mamma forever, and my mom wanted that same name for her grandkids. And so we said to mamma, my grandmother, now the great-grandmother, what would you like to be called? You know, because both of you are mamma, and, uh, and she said, well, I'll tell you what, because my mom, my mom, four foot ten, uh, maybe a hundred pounds, you know, if she had just finished eating pizza somewhere or something. But, uh, and so this is, this is sort of the humor of my, my grandmother. She said, I would rather be called Big Mamma than Old Mamma. <laughs> and so Big Mamma stuck. And there is so much that we learned from Big Mamma. We learned how to love. Because nobody loved us like Big Mamma did. Nobody. She was all, she was all love and no punishment, just as a grandparent should be. And we learned how to laugh. She was one of the funniest ladies. Esther Haas, you've met my grandmother, and Dan, some others of you have met my, my grandmother, and and um, she was one of the most hilarious. I could just, I could take, I won, of course, I could take the next 30 minutes and just tell you story after story of how humorous my grandmother was. She's always wanted to do a, a family reunion, and everybody's sort of scattered around the world, and we were always too busy for that. And really, she had said it so much that I got with my sister uh, some months ago, and I said, listen, Mamma really wants, we need to make sure that this happens before. And so my sister and I said, we're going to make it happen. We put together the details, plans, communicated, all of that, got it together. And so back in October, just a few months ago, we had this family reunion that my grandmother always had wanted to have. And she was in rare form, and, uh, you know, she passed away just a few months after this. And so I can share this photo of her without uh, concern of retaliation. <laughs> but while we're, that's her. And she was trying, this is my son, these are my sons, and they're, you know, they're holding, I don't know if you can tell this or not from the photo, but why would a grandmother like her want their wheelchair to be on the ground when her grandsons can lift it up for her, her great-grandsons, and she's just trying to get everybody to laugh. And we learned, we learned from her how to love, and we learned from her how to laugh. But we also learned from her, and she knew it, we knew it, we also learned how to worry from her. She was a worrier. It was a, it was a, it was a terrible combination. When you take a hypochondriac, as she was, self-admitted, and you give her a job in a hospital, that is not a good mixture. And my grandmother, who was absolutely a hypochondriac in every sense of the word, had a job at the hospital for many, 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 many years. In fact, when the hospital was built in our uh, small town outside of the suburb, in the suburbs of Atlanta, she was one of the very first employees, and she worked there as long as we could remember. But you put a hypochondriac in the hospital, and she now has every disease and illness of her patients. And because my grandmother and I were very, very close, she had every disease and illness of, of the patients, and I had every disease and illness she had. I even had illnesses and disease that I couldn't have because I was a guy that I thought I, I, was, I was convinced by the time I was eight, I needed a hysterectomy. Okay, maybe I made that up. But it was bad. It was real bad. 
And she taught us how to love. And she taught us how to laugh. But she taught us how to worry. I can remember a teenager. I was just worried all the time. I know I must have drove my pastor absolutely crazy. It's, it's like, you know, I, I, would, I would find him after service, and I would just, you know, I called him Brother Bray. He had been my pastor since I was a little boy, and I just, I, I, I so respected him, and I'd say Brother Bray, and it was like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really dealing with some of the other struggles, you know. How many of you know the devil always knows your weak spot? And for me, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't addicted to drugs or alcohol or anything, and I wasn't really living a rebellious life. I was a good boy for the most part, and yet the evil one saw, well, you know what? I can stymie his faith and his joy if I can get him to worry all the time. And here I was, a healthy, athletic teenager, and I was always worried that I was going to die. Fine, Brother Bray, pray for me. I, I, I just have... And, and this went on month after month. And here I am. Teen- Can you imagine that? And I lived in that chronically. And uh, I'll tell you what finally happened. I finally just got so absolutely tired of it. I just said, I can't do this anymore. And I'm not saying this is going to work for you and it's not necessarily going to fit you, but this is what it took for me. And finally, I just, I'm just worried all the time. I'm healthy, but every time, you know, I got a pain, she, she had a pain, she had an illness, I had a pain, I had an illness, and it was just sort of passed through our DNA. And I'm like, I just finally got fed up with it. And I can remember the day I said, Joe, I said, you know what? If I die, and it's, it's like I knew it, but I never really thought about it deeply. I said, all right, so if I die, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to me? I'm going to heaven. I'm going to get an instant promotion. So if God lets me continue to live, and that happened when I was a teenager, so now you look, 20 years later <laughs> or so, if God lets me live, praise God. But if I die, I have an immediate trip to spend all of eternity with God in heaven. Jesus said, don't worry about people that can kill your body. Worry about the Father who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus said, don't walk in the fear of people. Don't do it. What are you afraid about? What are you worried about? What's bugging you these days? And maybe you're at the point where I was. I just lived, I mean, it was so, it was so paralyzing to me. It just sapped the joy completely out of my life. How can you be worried and stressed out and filled with anxiety all the time and still be joyful and happy? You can't do both at the same time. It was impossible. And finally, I just reached a point where, God, I can't, I really can't take this anymore. God, if I die, I die. And if the worst thing, and I, I don't know what that means for you. Maybe you just need to come to that point in your own life where you just say, you know what? I'm tired of it too. I'm tired of the worry. I'm tired of being riddled by anxiety. I'm tired of being fearful all the time. I'm worried what's going to happen at work. I worry what's going to happen in my family, in my health, in my money. And I'm just saying to you tonight, it is time for you to break free of worry and fear and anxiety and enjoy the life that God has purposed for you. God's got a much better plan for you than just that. So what do you need God to do for you tonight? It may be that fear, worry, anxiety is not your thing. It may be that it's something else. And God says to you, you see that little sparrow that falls to the ground? I'm there. I know about it, and I know about you. 
So I don't know what you need tonight. Would you go ahead and stand with me? It may be to just be set free as I was from fear and anxiety and worry. It may be that you need healing in your body. It may be that you need a miracle in your family. It may mean that you need divine intervention in your finances. It may mean that God needs to open a door. But God cares and God loves and he's got a good plan for you. The worship team is going to come, and, and whatever you have need of tonight, we're not going to be here much longer, and I'll come back in just a moment and pray the benediction, but so many of us, we're going to be here, and we're going to be available. You do not need to walk out of this building tonight in fear or anxiety or worry or just saying, what, what's up? Does God care? Does God know? God knows, and I believe with all my heart, as much as I know my name, that God's got a good thing in store for your life tonight. I believe it, so don't miss it. Don't walk away from an opportunity that God may want to do something special and unique and supernatural in your life right here in this place tonight. So as they sing, will you come? And we want to pray for you before you go.